Hello and welcome. This is the Book of Acts by Word Online. In this episode, we're continuing with Paul on this epic journey that we've been tracing during the last few episodes as he's been traveling from Greece through uh, Turkey or Asia Minor and then by sea to uh, Israel and ultimately to Jerusalem. And if you've been following the other episodes or if you're familiar with the story, you'll know the background to this. This is Paul's third missionary journey and he is changing focus. He's decided that he ultimately wants to go to Rome and Italy to move the location of his missionary work away from Greece and Asia Minor or Turkey. Um, But before he does that, he has a particular obligation that he wants to fulfill, and that is to bring some financial support to the church in Jerusalem and the churches in the surrounding district known as Judea. This has been described in previous episodes, but just to mention it again briefly to you, the believers in Jerusalem and surrounding area were experiencing economic hardship at this time. There's two possible reasons. One is persecution and the other is a shortage of food supply or even a famine, more likely a shortage of food supply. And by the way, this was a common experience in the Roman world and the Roman authorities had a particular way of dealing with the uh, food supply issue and particularly grain and that was they imported a lot of grain to Italy and to Rome to support their own population in the heart of the empire, particularly the sprawling city of Rome. And so grain was imported from the provinces, especially from Egypt. This meant that the provinces like Judea were sometimes left short of food and it wasn't a high priority for the Romans to resolve this issue. So this may lie at the background of this particular issue. And this is one of the reasons why Paul has come to Jerusalem. We saw in the last episode that one of his stopping off points was the city of Caesarea on the coast. And he'd stayed in Caesarea for a number of days with uh, Philip the evangelist and his family. And during that time Agabus had come from Jerusalem, the prophet, and had prophesied to Paul that trouble was going to Uh, beset him when he got to Jerusalem and he needed to be ready for it. But Paul decided he was going to continue the journey. So let's pick up the story by reading a couple of verses from our last episode and then moving forward into our present episode. We're in Acts 21 verses 15 to 19. After this we started on our way up to Jerusalem Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Manasson, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James and and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Two days traveling from Caesarea to the home of Manasson, 
and Manasson probably lived in the area around Jerusalem. He was a believer who'd been a disciple for many years. He was one of the early disciples, so he'd been a disciple probably for 20 years, so a mature believer with some degree of wealth because he probably had a big home, and that's where Paul and his friends stayed during the time uh, that they were in Jerusalem until Paul was taken into custody, as we'll see shortly. And it was in, an incredible moment when um, Paul first got to Jerusalem. The church there was so excited to see him. Uh, and so there was a joyful meeting with the church in the city. Paul hadn't been in Jerusalem for a very long time. Lots of things had happened in the intervening years. But the most important meeting was between Paul and his colleagues and the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, who are described as the elders of the church. And some of the early apostles would also have been there, no doubt. But the focus was on the leaders of the local church and on the particular leader of the local church, which is James. Which James are we talking about here? This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, not James, the brother of John, one of the early apostles. Uh, you'll remember Peter, James, and John being the, uh, the inner circle of the 12 apostles. But James the apostle had been martyred, as we see in Acts 12. And so this James is a different James, the half-brother of Jesus. And it appears from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, that uh, this James had had a resurrection appearance of Jesus and had been appointed to join the group of apostles by Jesus himself. And this is the same man who is the author of the letter which we call James in the New Testament. He was a person of considerable authority. And so they met together and Paul thoroughly enjoyed telling them stories. Paul was a great storyteller. And all the way through this journey, he's been stopping off at different churches, talking to people. He stopped off at Troas, he stopped off at Ephesus, he stopped off at Tyre, at Ptolemais, at Caesarea. And everywhere he went, he would be telling stories of the things that God had done. And <clears throat> he reported in detail what God had done. He described every single place he went and how his journeys had taken place and what God had done in cities like Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica, Ephesus, Corinth, Athens, other places as well. What an amazing story that must have been. Let's read on <coughs> uh, into verse 20 to 26. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What should we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. So do what we tell you. There are four men with us who've made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. 
then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we've written to them uh, our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood and from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. Now, the leaders in Jerusalem were very concerned about a risk uh, to them. Amongst the Jewish believers, and there were many thousands in Jerusalem as stated in this passage, there were those who still very much respected the Old Testament laws, what's described here as Moses, the laws given to Moses, the religious laws of the Jewish people. And so they mixed their faith in Jesus, a genuine faith, with obeying some of these religious laws. Now Paul had taught the Gentile believers in other places not to get involved in the Jewish law. And so there was a risk that people might think that Paul was somehow anti-Jewish and disrespected this tradition of obeying those rules. So the leaders were just a little bit worried that Paul's visit could be tense. People could misunderstand him. And so this is why they suggested that he gets involved in a religious ceremony that was going on at the time, something that he wasn't going to do himself, but they suggested, why don't you join these people who, these men who are going for purification rites in the, in the temple? This was a tradition and a law um, from, from some teaching in the book of Numbers. Uh, and, and they suggested that Paul should be seen with them to show his respect for the religious traditions of the Jews. That was their plan. And then <coughs> they said to him that they'd made a decision earlier on about what to do about this Jewish law as far as the Gentile believers are concerned. And this is a reference to the Council of Jerusalem. This is the last time Paul was in Jerusalem. The same issue came up. So let's for a moment just pause and go back in our minds to that issue, which I described in an earlier episode and appears in Acts chapter 15. The context there was that Paul and Barnabas had been uh, planting churches in southern Turkey, an area called Galatia in Asia Minor, and uh, then some rumours had spread around them that they disrespected the Jewish tradition. These rumours had got back to uh, the believers in Jerusalem and the leaders, and so they convened a meeting because there was a risk that the church was going to split over this issue. There would be a Jewish church, following some of these regulations, and a non-Jewish church which didn't, and that Paul would be the leader here, Peter and James would be the leader over here. So in Acts 15, they met together. Paul and his colleague at the time, Barnabas, traveled down to Jerusalem and had a high-level discussion with James, Peter, the apostles, the elders, and indeed many church members. And the outcome of that meeting was that James, as stated here in verse 25, in summary, had given 
a, a ruling with the agreement of everybody else that the new Gentile believers should not obey Jewish traditions or rules, but just gave them four guidelines to abstain from food sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. These four guidelines related to essentially uh, idolatry, idolatrous pra practices is in the Greek and Roman temples and the sexual immorality that went alongside it. So they'd settled the issue before, but it was still in the background. Some of the Jewish believers were not yet entirely clear in their minds to what extent they were freed from the law of Moses. And so there was a risk of cultural tension between Paul and his friends on the one hand and some of the more conservative members of the church in Jerusalem who had a Jewish background. So they said, why don't you go to the temple and take part in a ritual ceremony? Not because you have to, but to show respect for that ceremony. And Paul said, yeah, I'm happy to do that. No problem. And so that should have been a positive demonstration that there wasn't really an issue to be concerned about. However, it didn't work out that way. Some trouble uh, started when he was in the temple. But let's, before we get to that part of the story, let's just think a little bit more about the context. Let's think a little bit about the Jewish temple itself. Well, here we are in Jerusalem. The temple is the huge dominant building at the center of the city and has been the focus of many key issues in the life of Jesus and in the early church. It's the place that Jews always wanted to come to, to worship at. There were three main festivals every year, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, to which they would make pilgrimage. They'd come from other countries and they'd make sacrifices and follow various rituals and traditions and prayers with the priests leading them. This whole structure of Judaism was still in place and the church had grown up alongside it from the day of Pentecost onwards. And this temple had a huge compound, a, a very big social area around, and the church had actually used that social area as its primary meeting area in early days when it num its numbers were so great. And so the respect of the Jews for the temple was very, very high. And so they were sensitive about how Paul would relate to the activities of the temple in this context. Paul was aware of this and very sensitive to it and wanted to do something that would reassure them. But what was his actual theological position? What did he actually believe about the law of Moses? It's probably a good time in our studies to think about this in a little bit more detail. And in order to do that, I'm going to read and comment briefly on a couple of short passages from the book of Romans. Romans 3, <coughs> verses 21 to 25. But now... 
that means in the time of Christ, apart from the law, uh, that's the law of Moses, righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Setting alongside that, Romans 10 verse 4. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there might be righteousness for everyone who believes. So as far as the law of the Old Testament, the law of Moses goes, in verse 21 of Romans 3 it says, Go that God has revealed the gospel, in a sense, apart from the law. It's a new revelation, and Christ is the culmination, or uh, alternatively translated, the end of the law. So the law of Moses, the function of the law of Moses to hold the Jewish people together and to give them a structure until the time of Christ has now been fulfilled. The old covenant, the law of Moses, has been replaced by the new covenant. This is Paul's thinking. But his policy, because it was such a sensitive cultural issue, his policy is described in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to 23. Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And we note verse 20 coming up now. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I become like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but under, the, under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I become weak. To win the weak, I become all things to all people that I might by all possible means save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Now in this passage, he says, when he's relating to the Jews, he becomes like a Jew. He enters into their cultural world. But when he's with the non-Jews, he throws off all that Jewish background and he engages in their different world. When he's with weak people, he gives up his strength of character and personality. He tries to feel what it is to be weak and vulnerable, maybe the slaves or some of the people on the outside of society. Can you see what Paul does? He modifies his behavior according to the context in order to build a bridge of communication. And he says in verse 23, I do this all for the sake of the gospel. He wants by all possible means to save some. That's his policy. Therefore, when he's in Jerusalem, 
here, and people say, people, be careful that the Jews are very sensitive about the law. What is Paul's policy? Become like a Jew. Respect the fact that they still feel that these rules and regulations are necessary. That's why he willingly said, I'll go up to the temple. I'll fulfill the purification rites with these men. I'll even pay their expenses to show that I'm involved in that process. So Paul was wanting to build a bridge to the Jews at this particular point. However, it didn't prove to be very easy. And we'll see why in these next verses. Verses 27 to 36. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he's brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They'd previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused. And the people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he'd done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some in another and since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowds that followed him kept shouting, get rid of him. Well, things didn't go so well, did they? Paul was coming in openness and humility, making a sensitive cultural gesture. He'd spent several days coming in and out of the temple compound in peace without any difficulty until somebody saw him who had seen him in the province of Asia. In other words, in one of those cities where Paul had planted a church a city like Pisidian Antioch, for example. And this person, this, this group of people, um, had got a misunderstanding of Paul's message. They, they said that he, he was anti-Jewish and was disparaging and despising all the things to do with Judaism when he was in Asia. And they also accused him of bringing one of his friends, Trophimus, 
from Ephesus who'd been traveling with him, who was a, a Gentile, a Greek-speaking person. They accused him of bringing him into the, temp the part of the temple which was reserved only for Jews, which was against the regulations. But neither of these accusations were true. Paul had not been disparaging Judaism in preaching in Asia Minor, in Galatia, in the places where they would have met him. Nor did he bring Trophimus into the area which was of restricted access. Trophimus had been traveling around with him, walking around with him in the city where he was perfectly free to wander. So these people stirred up trouble, made two false accusations against Paul, and as a result, stirred up a riot very quickly. And the Jews are very sensitive in the temple area. Anything that is disparaging the temple or their religion is a matter of great sensitivity to them. And so people are easily stirred up and they, uh, they'd heard about Paul. He'd previously been in Jerusalem, been, had studied under one of their religious teachers, uh, Gamaliel. He'd previously been a Pharisee and he'd gone over to Christianity. So some people would be aware of that. But, but we don't exactly know what the crowd were thinking because even when the Roman commander asked them, they couldn't give a coherent answer as to what was going on. They just got stirred up. And you know what it's like with riots. People get stirred up, get very emotional about things without really understanding what's going on. And that's what took place here. Now, <clears throat> the Romans, generally speaking, didn't send their soldiers into the temple compound. It was agreed with the Jews that this could be policed by the temple guard. And we've met the temple guard in earlier episodes. But the Romans had a fortress, the Antonia Fortress, right next to the temple, actually overlooking this compound. So there were always soldiers there. And as soon as the commander heard that there was something going on in the temple, he immediately intervened because the Romans were always keen to maintain public order. And so that's why the soldiers came rushing in, prevented Paul being literally beaten to death, saved his life, couldn't work out what the accusation was against him. And so the officer really had no choice but to remove him and to take him into custody. Well, this is a very dramatic episode and some of those prophetic words are being fulfilled. People warning Paul, there's going to be trouble for you in Jerusalem. And the trouble has started and now he's in custody, he's lost his freedom, he's in the hands of the Romans. The Jewish religious authorities are stirred up against him. Trouble lies ahead. So as we conclude now, just a few thoughts um, by way of reflection. The most obvious issue that arises out of this text concerns religious laws. This is a sensitive area in this particular text and it makes us think what is the New Testament position about religious rules and regulations? Which ones do we have to follow as Christians and what is their origin? Well, there are four things to say about this. So let's just uh, reflect on it for a moment. Number one, 
The Old Testament laws in the law of Moses are not applicable to Christians unless they have been restated in the New Testament by Jesus or the apostles as part of Christian discipleship. For example, do not murder, do not commit adultery. Those commands are carried forward, but very few are carried forward. So we assume the laws in the law of Moses are not applicable to Christians unless a specific one is carried forward. And that's really important as a foundation for our understanding. And this is because the covenant, the old covenant with Moses has been replaced by the new covenant in the, the, the death of Jesus. The second thing to say is that the New Testament commands in terms of church life, Christian discipleship, are applicable to us. Those commands given by Jesus and the apostles are applicable to us. We need to work out how to apply them, which can be a little bit complex. But we should assume that what the New Testament teach are regulations and principles for us. Thirdly, <coughs> we should not create our own religious rules about our conduct in our life and impose them on all people in our churches or in our communities. We don't have any permission to do that. We might want to have guidelines to help people in certain cultural situations like certain dress codes and so on, which, are, which should be respected, but they never become rules for all Christians everywhere. And the fourth point is that the New Testament tells us that in order to know what to do, what is the right thing for us to do, we not only have the New Testament, but we have the Holy Spirit living within us. Because so many moral decisions, ethical decisions, decisions about behavior cannot be made purely on the basis of a text from the New Testament because it doesn't cover most situations in life. But Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. And verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now the implication of this is that if we ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit, then we'll have an internal sense of right and wrong, which is something we can add to uh, the teaching that comes specifically from the New Testament. Well, thanks for uh, joining us for this episode. The story is dramatic. The story is only halfway through. There's more things to be said, more complications for Paul, and they come in the next episode. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.